Well, good morning, church family. Go ahead and grab a Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 1. And as you're turning there, I want to just kind of set up uh, this morning uh, just briefly. Um, I want you to think about the cultural moments that we find ourselves in today. You know, it was just two years ago that Apple released a software update uh, for their iPhone that introduced uh, a new emoji. And uh, that new emoji was the pregnant man emoji. And uh, isn't it crazy that, that I must stand on a platform of a church in all seriousness and say that there's really no such thing as a pregnant man. But that's the time in which we find ourselves in today. And so this idea that gender is fluid, that there are numerous genders, is really the latest trend of culture that we see that's really permeating every level of society, whether it's government or politics or women's sports, public schools, entertainment, social media, you name it. Now, could you imagine, you know, going back 20 years ago with the message that men could get pregnant? Could you imagine going back 10 years ago or even five years ago with this message um, that men could get pregnant? You would be laughed at. But in 2024, uh, no one's laughing anymore. And so this issue of gender is really the most pressing issue in our society today. And what we want to do is just take some time and kind of focus on it uh, as we kind of think about it biblically. And we want, to, we want to deal with this topic in a way that Jesus dealt with every topic that he dealt with. He dealt with it with grace and truth. And that's what we want to do today. So the church must speak to these, to these areas and must move into the areas where uh, the cultural conversation is. And so the myth today that is really driving the whole transgender movement is, is a belief that gender is a social construct. And uh, what I mean by that is, is that, that gender, according to, to those kind of leading this gender revolution, is not rooted in biology. It's actually, according to them, rooted in society. It's determined by society. So it happens when we label a child male or female and it's that labeling, as the theory goes, that determines the gender, not biology. The label actually puts the child on a path that reflects the characteristics of the label. Now, Nancy Piercy has written a book called Love Thy Body, and I highly recommend it to you uh, on, this, on this topic. But I want you to notice what she says as she explains uh, the social construct theory of gender this way. She says, according to gender theorists, it's impossible to base gender on biological facts because we can't objectively know those facts or any other facts either, she says. After all, we can make sense of facts only when we interpret them and all interpretations are conditioned by our culture and history. Every definition of what it means to be biologically male or female is really a product of cultural forces. And so that's really kind of a, a great summary of this, this whole concept of a social construct for gender. Now, the social construct theory or idea is a derivative of a bigger idea that we see just, you know, inculcated in every level of society. And, and that is this, that there is no absolute truth, that truth is relative and uh, truth is subjective. And then you can extrapolate from there that, Morality is relative, and uh, morality is subjective at that point. Now, I want you to think about this statement that there is no absolute truth. 
it's really an illogical statement, and it's a self-refuting statement when you think about it. Because, because think about it this way. To say that there is no absolute truth is to state an absolute truth. I mean, think of it. You know, if we're all humans trapped in what the culture tells us and we have no access to the truth, then how can gender theorists know that their own claims are true? They can't, right? I mean, if we can't know the truth, then how do you know that gender as a social construct is true? Well, you can't. The argument undercuts itself. It's a self-refuting statement. And so what I want to submit to you is this, that we can know the truth because absolute truth does exist because God himself is ultimate truth. And the good news of the gospel is he has revealed it to us in his love. That's how we can know truth. And Romans 1 talks about that we can know truth by sheer creation. We, we look at the creative order, we look at creation around us, and we know that, that, that God exists, Paul says in Romans 1, just by just the, just the creation that we see. And, and the whole point of that chapter is that we know in our hearts that God is ultimate truth. We also know the truth because God has revealed it to us in his word, his holy word, holy scripture, and in his son, Jesus. Jesus said this, he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And so no one goes to the father except by me. And so what Jesus is saying is we can know truth by knowing him because truth is a person, the person of Jesus Christ who desires to pour his love into our lives. Now, what's the truth about gender? Well, I, wanna, I just want to show you a couple of passages of Scripture about the truth of gender. And uh, we're going to read from Genesis chapter 1 today. And I'm going to ask, if you're willing and able, would you stand together for the reading of God's Word as we just kind of just take a, a, a quick peek into uh, His Word and what it says on this issue. Genesis 1, beginning at verse 26. And then God said, let us make man in our image... And after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but not the word of God. It lasts forever. You may be seated. Now, what do we see just in that, in that very short text? What we see is the genesis of gender, don't we? We see the very beginning of gender. We see, we see that God has created the heavens of the earth. He's created the fish and the birds and the creeping things. And then he's created the very pinnacle of his creation, man and woman. And uh, what he's done in this is he didn't create one, you know, human anatomy and one, you know, human design. He actually created two. And uh, what we see is these anatomies complement each other. And so these two anatomies, when they come together in a holy marital union, they become one flesh. And something happens as, as we, you know, revealed in this, in this gender is, is that the man and woman, they do something, they image God. And so men and women, 
in their respective genders are image bearers of God. That means we mirror God. We actually reflect something about who God is, even through our gender. And, and so as image bearers of God, our gender actually points to something bigger than ourselves. It actually points away from ourselves. Our gender actually points to the character and nature of God. And I would even add, and I wish I had time to unpack this, but, but not only does gender point to the character and nature of God, it points to the salvation of God. And so what we see, the bottom line is this, that gender is not a construct of society. Gender is a construct of God. And uh, it existed, gender existed long before anxiety uh, or society existed. Now, notice one other point, because this is, this is a big point in the, in the entire discussion of this. Um, and that is this, that there's no separation between sex and gender. Did you notice that in our passage? And so God creates man and woman, he creates the two genders, and then he commands them to come together to be fruitful and multiply. And, and so what you see is that gender and sexuality is God's idea and God's design, and it's good. It's good. And so that's what we see. Now, the question then becomes, well, what did Jesus say about gender? Well, it's interesting. He, he, did, he did talk about it. Uh, he was asked about marriage. And we see in Matthew 19, verses 4 and 5, uh, as he's answering this question that was posed to him about marriage, this is what he says. Jesus answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And the implication there is this, that they will image God. They will mirror God in that entire process. Now, what Jesus is doing in this passage is he is referencing the Genesis passage and he's validating it. And what he's saying is that gender was God's idea and God's, God's creation. Now, why is there so much gender confusion today? I mean, obviously you see that in our society. We see it everywhere, uh, everywhere we go. And I would answer that question with another question. Why does anything in God's creation become distorted? And the answer is because of sin. And so when sin entered the world, it brought death, it brought destruction, it brought disease, it brought deformity, it brought difficulty, and it brought distortion. And so those are just the effects of sin, but there's also the essence of sin. And the essence of sin is basically um, our desire for autonomy and our desire for self-rule. So we often think that sin is just breaking one of the commandments of God, you know, it's, it's doing something he doesn't want us to do. And uh, it, it is that. But sin in its essence is basically saying, I, I don't want God's rule in my life. I want my rule. I don't want God's way in my life. I want my way. I don't want his word. I want my word. And that desire for autonomy and that desire for self-rule, it always leads to the same place. It leads to brokenness and it leads to pain. But the good news of the gospel is this, that, that God in his grace loves us and that, and that Christ died for us even while we were in rebellion against him. Even while we were still sinners, he died for us. And so there's a uh, an author who writes a lot on this topic, his name is Mark Yarhouse, and he says, he says it this way, he says, if you've met one person who is transgender, you've met one person. And what he means by that is this, 
that behind this issue of gender identity are real people who are made in the image of God. And they have real stories. And there's real pain and brokenness behind those stories. And the message of the gospel is God loves. He loves people and he feels that pain and uh, he understands that pain. And what the, me- what the message of the gospel is, he can redeem and restore through that pain. And so today, I wanted to uh, bring someone to kind of share their story of God bringing healing and redemption. I have the, the privilege of being able to introduce to you Laura Smaltz and her husband, Perry. They hail from Oklahoma and uh, they have braved the cold to be with us today. And so Laura's story is a story of how God rescued her from a transgender identity. And so she has spoken all over the United States. She speaks on you know, podcasts and she's been on video and documentaries. She has shared her story in so many ways to, to be a blessing to other people. She's even written a book called From Transgender to Transformed. And what it does is it points to our great God who redeems and restores. So would you give a warm Indiana welcome and a very warm uh, Indiana welcome to Laura Smalls today. (laughs) Thank you. Well, thank you so much. I'm uh, I'm glad to be here and I'm going to make sure this, there we go. Okay. I've got just a few pictures to show this morning, me as as a little girl. Um, and I was thinking as I was coming up here, I always am asking the Lord um, something that, that I can share in the beginning before I share my story, something that the Lord's had on my heart. And I was thinking about this, this book that my husband and I have been reading recently called Your God is Too Small. It's an old book, but it talks about how often our concept of God is way smaller than God actually is. And sometimes we doubt his power. And it talked about how often young people, we, we hear this God of the Bible that did these amazing miracles and he worked in people's lives and um, just these unbelievable things that God did. And then often we don't see his power today and we don't believe that he loves us and that he works in our lives and that he's real and personal today. And I think that was true when I was growing up. I, I knew that the God of the Bible was true. I had been taught it all my life. I grew up in the church. I grew up in a Christian home and uh, I was in... Um, you know, Sunday school and all the little programs. I was in Bible drill. I was in a Christian school. And so I heard about the Bible all the time. But to me, God was not real. He wasn't real in my life. I knew he existed. I knew the Bible was true. But somehow I missed the gospel. And above all, what I want you to hear today is not just my story, because you could say, well, that's just, you know, people tell me sometimes, well, that's just your experience. And this may be just my story and what happened to me, but it's the same God that works in each and every one of our lives, and it's the same God that transforms. And so above all today, that's what I hope that you hear in my story is the transforming power of God, because I can't change your life, but God can, and he has radically transformed me. Um, so, in, you know, when I was a kid, I began to believe a lot of lies of the enemy, and there, there's a reason that the Bible talks to us about winning the war of the mind that, you know, the the spiritual warfare, casting down thoughts and imaginations, because those lies can creep in. And when they do, they begin to take root. And over time, they grow. So when I was a little kid, I began to notice that my mom treated my brother and I a little bit differently. She was much closer to my brother. Now, I didn't understand. I was about five or six years old. 
I didn't understand personality differences and, and different reasons that different relationships are close. I wanted to be very close to my mom, but I didn't realize she had miscarried two boys between my brother and I. She was longing for those boys. She was in a lot of grief, uh, but he was also very quiet. He was very obedient, and um, they just got along better in personality, and I was very, very close to my dad, and I was not so quiet and obedient. I was very hyper. I was kind of ADHD and uh, demanded a lot of attention. But my mom was also, she was on her own journey. I didn't understand my mom's brokenness. And I share a little bit of her story. One, because God really wove our stories together and he used both of us um, to bring glory to him. And we have reconciled now, but we often share our stories together. But she was in her own brokenness that I didn't understand as a child. See, often, I think sometimes we, when we're really little kids, we think our parents are superheroes. And we don't understand that our parents have brokenness too. And she had been raised in a very legalistic home. And she, her, her view of God was that she was never quite good enough. And she told me she used to feel like she was on this performance treadmill for God, never feeling quite good enough, never able to do enough, never being pleasing enough. And so as a result, she was stressed out, she was burned out, and she was just under constant stress, trying to hold the family together, trying to be the super mom and the super wife and do all the things she was supposed to be able to do. And she was so under so much stress, she started having severe health problems. And uh, she developed a condition called fibromyalgia, and she was in so much pain that she didn't even like the sheets to touch her at night. She didn't want anything to touch her. Well, my love language was physical touch. All I wanted was to be held and cuddled and touched. And so when my mom would tell me, go away, get off of me, I began to interpret that as mom didn't want me around. Mom didn't love me. And so as a very young child, I really began to believe that my mom loved my brother more because she spent her time with him. And so I began to think, well, mom wishes I had been one of the boys instead. And I can see where that lie began to creep in. This was a lie of the enemy. My mom loved me very much. In fact, my mom spent a lot of her free time trying to help me with my own health problems. I developed severe health problems as a child. And she spent a lot of her time trying to figure out how to help me. But I didn't realize that, and I began to believe the lies of the enemy. And I began to be angry with my mom. And I began to be bitter against her. And I, and I, and I developed this attitude of, fine, if you, you know, uh, if you don't want to be with me, I'll just go be with dad. And I began to really cling to my, my dad, be, wanted to be just like him, wanted to be just like my brother. I played with his toys, I wore his clothes, and wanted to be, I just idolized my brother. I wanted to be like my brother. Because to me, he was like a superhero. But as I did, I, I, I spent all my time with my dad and my brother, and then when I got to school, I didn't know how to relate to the curls. They were, they were foreign, and they were kind of weird and awkward. And I would hear, you know, the, um, there was a clear gender difference, especially back then. Um, and out on the playground, and the girls would play together, and the boys would play together. No one told them to do that. That was just natural. But I, they were very foreign to me. I didn't know how to relate to them. And so I began to believe this lie that I wasn't like the other girls. And as I grew up, um, I began to wish more and more that I had been a boy. I began to pray as a little child, asking God that I could be a boy instead. I began writing stories about me as a, as a boy. I began um, fantasizing through video games and other things, but really this was all in my head. I had never heard the word transgender. I never had this concept of actually transitioning from one gender to the other. 
And so I, I lived in this broken state of just really hating who I was. And I think at some point in our lives, all of us go through times where we don't like ourselves very much. And even if you haven't struggled with your gender, all of us go through times where we're envious of others, where we're jealous of others, where we wish that we were someone else, where there's some broken part of us that we don't like. And I just really begin to hate myself. I begin to be very jealous of boys. I begin to wish that I had been born a boy. And I, I tried to act like them. I tried to fit in with them. But the more I did, I began to lose myself. And I found myself trying to be somebody that everybody else liked. But I didn't really know who I was. And when I was 14, well, even before that, I, as an 8-year-old child, I was molested by another boy. And I began to live in this world of shame. I, be, I was so broken, and I, was, I felt so ashamed and dirty. I felt like it was my fault. And I was so ashamed that I never told anybody what happened until I was in my 30s. And when I did, my, my mom was so broken. She said, I'm so sorry you didn't feel like you could come to me. She wanted me to tell her. But I felt like I couldn't tell anybody. I wish I could go back to that little child and tell her to go tell somebody that I trusted, to go tell an adult, tell somebody at the church, tell my parents, and get the help that I needed. And if somebody out there is struggling with that today, if that's happened to you, I highly encourage you to get help because it just ate away at me for years. And I ended up um, acting out sexually. I ended up acting out with other kids. And it just led to more and more and more brokenness as I tried to fix this problem that I couldn't fix. And I remember when I was about 14, I was uh, diagnosed with a condition called polycystic ovarian syndrome. And so I had cysts all over my ovaries that made, um, gave me chronic excruciating pain. I was in pain all the time. And it was like emotionally I was crying out about how much I hated being a girl. And now here my body is crying out in pain. And it was like as if it was manifesting the pain that was on the inside because I was trying to stuff it and bury it. I didn't want anybody to know how broken I was inside. And my body was crying out. And I began to get angry with God because I thought, you know, here's this. Um, if God created me a girl and I was told God didn't make any mistakes and yet there's this body that I don't want. I didn't ask to be a girl and I believed at the time my mom didn't want me a girl and I didn't feel like a very good girl because I felt like I didn't fit in with the girls and I wasn't as good as the other girls. And then on top of that, I have this body that is in excruciating chronic pain. And then the doctors were telling me that I was likely never going to get pregnant. I began to get so angry at God. And I thought, why would a, a good God allow this to happen to me? And this is a critical point that I want to make, that um, so often what turns us away from the Lord is not an intellectual belief, we may blame it on that. There's lots of theories out there that people try to come up with to explain away God. But if you listen to the top atheists in the world, at some point they will admit they don't like God or that they're angry with God. And in fact, uh, several years ago, I watched uh, one weekend hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of testimonies on YouTube from all different walks of life. Um, there were you know, people that had been in drugs and alcohol and just lots of different sexual sin, lots of different lifestyles. And in almost every case, what turned them away from the Lord was some form of this question, something 
they, they had some exposure to church, some exposure to who God is, um, and then at some point they turned away from the Lord, and in most cases it was because of something bad that happened in their lives, and they said, if God is good, why did he allow this in my life? And I heard that same sort of idea in almost every story. And the Bible warns us about bitterness and unforgiveness and how that takes root in our heart. In fact, Hebrews 12, 15, and 16 says, Looking diligently, lest any man fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up, cause trouble, and thereby many are defiled. Lest there be any fornicator, which is a, um, anyone in sexual sin or pra- profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. And I've seen this over and over and over when people um, are serving the Lord and things are going well and then a trial comes into our life, some kind of brokenness comes in our life and we begin to question the goodness of God and we begin to blame God for things that have happened in our lives and we turn away from God, the only source of true goodness in this world. He is the one who is perfectly good. He is the one who is perfectly righteous and perfectly just. And yet because we know he has power, we begin to blame him for things that have happened in our lives. We begin to say, why didn't God stop this? Why did God allow evil? Why did God allow this pain in my life? Why did God allow this brokenness? And we turn away from him, and we think we know better, and we're going to fix our lives ourselves. And that's what I begin to do. And I begin to get into all kinds of sexual sin, and I had no idea the brokenness this was going to bring in my life. I thought I knew better, and I thought I was going to show God that I, I could um, make my own life But the Bible warns that we reap what we sow. And I didn't realize for years I blamed all the men in my past and I would say, you know, I was dumped and I was rejected, I was used, I was abused, and I was they would give me no value. I was treated like trash or like dirt, like I had no worth. And there's truth to that, but the reality is I was giving myself away for free. I was the one telling them that I had no value. I was the one that hated myself. And not that they're not to blame. Both of us were to blame. Both of us were guilty. But I was equally guilty because I was the one giving myself away. And I ended up in so much pain and brokenness and I hated myself and I felt like I had no worth. And I began to blame it on the fact that I had been born a woman. And I thought, if I had been born a man, then I know how to do this. I know how to um, treat a woman. And I began to long to be that which I couldn't find for myself. And I thought back on my childhood and all that, uh, all those desires to be a man, and I began to embrace this idea. And so when I was 25, I decided that I was going to become a man. And I had never heard that concept before, but I, I began to look it up on Google. And, you know, I'll tell you that Satan will find a way to tell you anything you want to hear. And that the Bible warns about having itching ears. And there are people out there saying that Um, You can be trans and Christian, you can be gay and Christian, and all these things. And the reality is the Bible warns us against these things, warns about having itching ears, that we have to believe the truth. We have to believe what God says without compromise. In fact, there's a, in Psalm 119, it says, How can a young person stay on the path of purity by living according to your word? That's the only way to stay on the path of purity because when we start going down our own path, if we've rejected God and he's the very source of truth, we will never find any truth without him. And so we end up in a very dark place and sin will always take you further than you want to go. 
Sin will always drag you to depths you never even imagined. I started in high, um, high school, and co- especially by college, looking at a little pornography here and there. It wasn't even nearly as available as it is now, but it, it seemed innocent at first. Who cares if I look at this or that? But it got darker and darker. The addiction got worse, and I became a slave to all kinds of sexual sin. And I became an extremely selfish, narcissistic person as I began to demand everybody conform to my reality that I had created. And I demanded people call me by my pronouns and my name that I wanted. And I was recreating my own reality. And I, I didn't realize it at the time, but I was declaring myself as God because God said that he is the creator. But I was declaring that I knew better than God, that I was creator. I exalted myself above the knowledge of God. And I hated God, and I hated Christians. I wanted nothing to do with Christians. I told God I would never serve him again. I wanted to be the opposite of a Christian. And I knew that the Bible was real. I knew that um, the Bible was true. I knew that I was running away from it all. But I thought I could find my own path, my own destiny, my own life. But as I begin this journey, and I begin to, quote, transition, as they call it, and I begin to take testosterone, and I begin to um, see the effects of it little by little, and there were changes that begin to happen, and my voice began to get lower. And I thought, this is amazing. This is actually going to happen. And I begin to have these fantasies of what this would look like one day when I, quote, became a man. And uh, soon thereafter, I had my name legally changed, and every step along the way, sort of made this a little more real, except that there was always this thought in the back of my mind that I knew this was all fake. I was artificially injecting myself with hormones every other week, making this happen artificially. But, it, but I always believed that one day this is going to be real. But the more that I transitioned, as I later had, um, in 2009, about two years later, I had a, a double mastectomy and had the breast removed. And they, they did a little bit of plastic surgery to make it look more like a male chest. And I remember being just on top of the world for a few weeks, and I thought, this is the greatest thing ever. And I felt free of the burden of my breast that I hated so much, and I felt free of the, the shackles of being in that female body. But a few weeks later, reality began to set in that this hadn't made me a man. And I felt stupid. I thought, why did I think that taking my breasts off was going to make me a man? That doesn't make me a man. And I thought, well, it's because I still have all these female hormones. Once I have get rid of all the female hormones, then, then I will be a man. And so a couple years later, I had a full hysterectomy, and I had the ovaries removed. And that still didn't fix it. And then I began to really question, well, what point does this become real? I was dressing like a man. I had a man's name legally. I was legally male after my surgery. I had no breasts, I had no, um, quote, female organs. As far I did, I'd have hysterectomy, I had the uterus removed. But this still wasn't real, and I couldn't put my finger on it. I couldn't understand at what point this became real, but I began looking at, um, at additional surgeries, at um, genital reassignment surgery, and I was horrified when I started looking at it. But you guys may not understand, when you see all the, these people on YouTube that are talking about how amazing it is that they have, quote, transitioned in this, into this other person, these surgeries are horrific. And there are people that have had massive complications. 
I know of, um, there are stories out there of people who have had tissue necrosis, which means that the tissue actually dies. Um, there are people that are never able to have any sexual function again. Some are to some degree, but it's never the same. Um, there are people that have severe infections, all kinds of bladder problems, all kinds of urethra problems, um, and a host of many other things. And on top of that, at the time, it said that four, uh, 40 to 60% would lose all sexual feeling permanently. And testosterone, the, the amount, the doses that I were on, which were massive, um, really increases that desire. And then they're going to make your body to where it can't do that. And I began to realize that this was a lie. Now, at the time, I still didn't want to be a woman because there was so much pain there. Every time I thought about it, I was in so much pain. But I began to realize in horror that I could not be a man. And I didn't know what it meant to be a man or a woman. And I remember um, at one point I, was, I had a job where I was only known as male. And I thought, well, at least nobody else knows that I was a woman. I didn't even know why I was in so much pain. But I thought, at least I have this identity that I want. And as I began to, I was uh, outside at work one day, and I was standing in this group of guys and they all thought I was a man. They, nobody even knew that I was trans. And I remember thinking, I can't put my finger on it. I don't know what it is, but there is just something different. I'm not one of them. And I realized deep down there was a difference that I didn't understand. And I began to hate my life because I, um, once I transitioned, I thought I would find freedom once nobody knew that I was female. But what happened is I had to lie about my life all the time. I had to reinvent everything about myself. All of a sudden, I, if I was telling a story about childhood, I couldn't have been in Girl Scouts. I had to have been in Boy Scouts. I couldn't have played softball. It had to be baseball. I, you know, I had to say that um, my parents had two boys and a girl, and I would forget those kind of things, and I would get caught in lies. And one day in particular, I remember I, um, I found out that an ex-boyfriend that had been a significant part of my life earlier in life was marrying this girl. And anyway, I had a big emotional freak out and went and was telling my boss about this, and so here I am as a man, supposedly straight and married to a woman, and I'm talking about an ex-boyfriend. And this began to really haunt my life. And I began to feel tormented and tortured by this thing that I had wanted so badly. And I began to realize that no matter how bad I wanted this, this was not real. You know, and I know you might say, well, that's just your experience. That's what some people say. I have read thousands of stories like this. There are so many. There's a Reddit forum that I'm on um, called DTrans. And there are, um, I don't even know what the number is up now. Last time I looked, it was about 57,000. And I'm sure there are trolls and people on there. But for the most part, they, they regulate it. And they're supposed to be either people that are detransitioning or people that are questioning. And there are just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids regretting what they've done. Saying, why didn't anybody stop me? Why didn't anybody tell me? Why did they just let me cut off my breasts? I was 15 or whatever. Now they're even younger. Letting them make these permanent decisions before they can even understand. And I've had so many young people tell me, well, I, you know, I never want kids. You know, I don't care if I lose that ability. But you don't understand at this age, you're not supposed to want that yet. Those desires become awakened later in life when God intends them to, especially in marriage. 
You can't know now what you're going to want for the rest of your life. And we can't understand. Our feelings are so fickle. Your feelings have changed many times over the last few months probably, especially over the last years for what you want in your life, maybe what you want to do in your career, maybe who you like, maybe interests you have. Our feelings change, and the Bible warns against. See, it's Disney's message that says follow your heart. But the Bible says complete opposite. The Bible says to follow God. The Bible says to follow the Bible because that's our source of truth. And I've heard so many stories from parents of, of kids who identify as, as trans or non-binary or one of the, whatever these labels might be, and then a few months later they have a different label, and then a few months later, well, that really wasn't it. Now they have this other label, and this is because this is never real, and their feelings are just based on their current experience. But it's not the truth of who they are. Yes, they genuinely feel that way for whatever reason. And so often it's based in pain that they haven't dealt with. So often it's based in not liking who they are, not feeling like they fit in. In almost every story I've ever heard, I hear this same thing, that I felt like I didn't fit in with my own gender. And Satan lies and says, you're not like them, you're not good enough. Because Satan hates the image of God. And just like Pastor Scott was saying, he hates the fact that male and female represent different characteristics of God, different aspects of God. And together we are um, a more full picture. Not that we can um, be a perfect image of God. We're fallen and we're broken. But we represent together the full picture of God. And he hates that. And he hates marriage because marriage is the building blocks of this uh, culture. Marriage it gives a child stability. There's a, um, there's a ministry that I had um, spoken with several years ago called uh, Them Before Us that talks about putting the needs of the child before these, these selfish parents that get divorced for all kinds of sexual reasons, they lose interest, whatever, and talking about the damage that it does to these children. Children need a stable home with stable parents. And in fact, there have been many studies on homes that have had homosexual couples raising children and the psychological damage it does to these children. They need a mother and a father. And there, there are often, though, there are times where children may not have a mother or father for one reason or another. Sometimes that's unavoidable in this broken world. But I think that's one area where the church has kind of failed. There are so many people in this, um, in this church, in churches all over the country, that have the opportunity to invest in some of these young people that don't have a mother or father. They desperately need it. And so I encourage you, if you know some of those young people, please invest in their lives. And, um, because we, won't, we can't have a perfect life in this broken world. We're broken under the curse of sin, just like the pastor was sharing earlier. And I, I love the fact that he was sharing this because this is kind of the heart of our ministry. Uh, but I realize I've just skipped over part of my story. I, I love to talk about what God has done and the truth of his word. And it's been so long since I lived this lifestyle now that sometimes... Um, I, I just like to talk about what Jesus has done, but I was in this, I was in such a desperate place. At that time, I did not know the hope of Christ. I knew what the Bible said, but I didn't believe God that he could transform me. I believed in my feelings, but I began to be more and more broken, and I finally, um, at one point, I began to see, and God began to open my eyes that my mom was being changed over that time, and he was changing her as she surrendered her life to him and she began to allow the Lord to change her rather than trying to fix me, 
all of a sudden she began to be transformed and the Lord began to open my eyes to what he was doing in her. And this is the reason people have to know her story. This is the reason not only to share the gospel, but to share what God is doing in your life because it's the power of God that is going to um, lead to somebody else seeing that transformation. They need to see the resurrecting power of Christ in your life. What has he done in your life? Not just since you said the prayer and got saved, but what is he doing in your life? How is he changing you? How is he transforming you? You know, I shared earlier that um, doubting the goodness of God is what turns people away. But Romans 2, 4 said it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. People need to see the goodness of God. And this is not just some cosmic Santa just making people feel good, good about themselves. I think sometimes that's people's view of the goodness of God. That's not the goodness of God. The goodness of God is that he's holy, that he's perfect, that he's just. The Bible said that, that he is light and there is no darkness in, in him at all. There's no evil in him. He is perfect, holy love. And he provided a perfect, holy sacrifice to take away our sin and to be, um, it says he, um, he became sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. He sacrificed his life for us in order that we could be made new. And I, at one point, as I began to see the transformation of my mom, for the first time in my life, I knew the gospel was true. And I began to see the power of God, and I knew that Christ was alive. This is no longer just in this dead book. This is real, and this is now, and this is alive, and I want part of it. And I began to... Um, pour out my heart to God, and I gave my heart to the Lord, and I got radically saved, and I was transformed. And for the first time in my life, my heart was made new. And just like the Bible says, he took my heart of stone and gave me a heart of flesh, and he began to change my mind, and he began to give me desires for God that I'd never had in my life. And I wanted to be a man of God, because I thought, I have already done this, I've already transitioned, I'm legally male, I've had these surgeries, there's nothing I can do about it now, I know this wasn't God's will, but I'm kind of stuck this way. But I didn't understand the power of God yet. I had a glimpse of it, but I didn't know what he was going to do in my life. I didn't know that he had something so much better for me. And he began to convict me and draw me out of that lifestyle. And he began to um, pour his word into me. You know, it's, the Bible says that um, he sent his word to heal them and to deliver them from their destructions. It's one of my life verses, Psalm 107.20. And as he poured his word into me, I get, began to get more and more convicted. And one night I, I got really desperate and I threw myself on the floor and I said, God, I want everything you have for me. What do you want from me? I want to live a life for you that is sold out to you. I want what your plan for me in this life. And the Lord asked me a question. He said, if you stood before me tonight, what name would I call? And I said, oh God, that is not fair. I have repented of this. I said, I was sorry. Like, what am I supposed to do? I can't just walk away from this. I've had these surgeries. I had facial hair. My voice was much lower at the time. I didn't, I, they told me that was permanent. And I didn't even conceive of how I could get out of this. And he reminded me of John chapter 1 that says, Jesus Christ himself is the creator. He said, you cannot claim to love me and yet reject my creation. And I thought I was being condemned because I was not going to go back to being female. That was just not an option. Then the most loving voice I've ever heard in all my life, he whispered to me and he said, let me tell you who you are. 
Then I began to realize that God had designed me and created me with a plan and a purpose far beyond what I could see, far beyond what I could understand. And that's true for each and every one of you in this room. And if you've been trying to make something of your life, you've been trying to make something happen, you've been trying to live good enough for God, he wants to be the one to work in your life. He's the one with the power. He's the one that can transform. What he wants is for you to surrender to him and say, God, what is your plan? What do you want to do in me? I think we get that so backwards sometimes. And I still wrestled for several months. And uh, I finally got to this point where I could see the, I was like down in this deep, dark pit that I couldn't get out of. And I could see the light at the top, but I had no way out. And it reminded me of Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 26. It said, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever will save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his own soul? Or what shall he give in exchange for his soul? And I knew the Lord was asking me to walk away from everything. And I wrestled and wrestled with the Lord. I honestly asked the Lord to take my life. For about two months, I begged the Lord to just take my life because I saw no way out. I didn't understand the transforming power yet. But as I began to walk away from that lifestyle, and I was very reluctant at first, but as I began to obey God little by little and I began to reconcile with my mom, as I began to forgive those that had hurt me, as I began to um, allow God to work in my heart and begin to agree with God that he was right and I had been wrong, as I began to agree with the truth of his word, he began to transform me from the inside out. And uh, the, the masculine appearance just began to, and the desires began to fade away. I became more and more feminine. And I couldn't believe that I began to love this person that God had created for the first time in my life. And then uh, a couple of years ago, God brought me this amazing husband that I'm asked to come up real quickly. Um, this is my husband, Perry. And we were married um, about two years ago. Go ahead and come up. And uh, so what has been amazing in this whole journey is seeing God bring me not only somebody that, um, you know, I figured God was going to bring me this, somebody that I just had to learn to love. He was going to be okay. I just had such low expectations of God. I had no idea that God would bring me somebody that would love me and cherish me and treat me like this man has. He's been an incredible husband to me. But not only that, God is teaching me so much about his design of male and female, about his design for marriage, about how good his design is, is so much better than we understand. And uh, so I wanted him to share real quickly. Um, people often ask him, how, oh, he forgot his mic. Uh, that's okay. Uh, Sorry about that. <laughs> so you've talked a lot about um, what it was like for you dating a trans person. I never dated a trans person. The, the person that I dated was a changed person. I've never dated a trans person because when she asked Christ to come into her life, her heart was changed forever. She was redeemed radically. She was transformed. She was no longer the person that she was. That old person no longer exists. The old has gone. The new, a new life had begun. God's grace is greater than all of our sins. You know, nothing is too difficult for the Lord. And look what transformation the Lord has done in her life. We need to give God the glory for what he can do. Yeah. 
So we want to tell you just real quick, I love what Pastor was um, sharing earlier about Genesis and about um, Eden and what happened in the Garden of Eden, that God created a perfect world with a perfect environment where there was no war, there was no disease, there were no uh, health problems, there was no awkwardness and shame in our bodies. In fact, I don't know if you've ever noticed that the first thing that Adam and Eve did after they sinned was they hid and they covered their bodies because they were ashamed. And so many of us feel awkward in our bodies. We don't like our bodies. There's things we don't like. But God, did you know that God is going to redeem all of creation? For those who believe in Christ, we will be part of a new heavens and a new earth that the curse and what happened to Eden will be redeemed, that there will be an eternal paradise just like he created us for. And that's why my husband and I have actually started our own ministry now. This is actually, y'all are our very first official um, speaking engagement as, a, um, as our new ministry called Eden's Redemption. And so we'd love to tell you all more about that. You can go to our website at edensredemption.org, find out more about our mission and what we're doing. And um, please come and hear us tonight at 6 o'clock, right? Um, we're going to be teaching tonight as well and give you all some more information and help equip you. Um, but I appreciate you all listening and, and let me share. Pastor Scott. Just remember, you know, the enemy is a liar and he's a thief. And the number one thing he wants to try to do, he, he, he's been doing this for thousands of years, but he wants us to question the goodness of God. And if he can lie to us and say, you know, God is not really good, you can't trust him, that's when problems really start. And so, um, so I just want to encourage you, wherever you are in, in, your, in your faith journey, whatever season of life that you're in, uh, God is good and you can trust him to bring good out of whatever circumstance that you're in. And so uh, Laura and her husband Perry will be out by the book table. They would love to meet you. And um, we just are going to, um, we're going to close with a, with a song. But I want to just remind you, if you have anything you need to be praying about, uh, members of our uh, response team will be right over by the baptistry and be right over there by the cross. We would love to pray with you after the service. Uh, but I want to just take a minute and, and just pray for us right now. Would you just pray with me? So, Father, we thank you for just the incredible story of redemption. Lord, how you, um, how you take us um, from our brokenness, our sinfulness, and you renew us and restore us. And, God, we long for the day when the curse of this world is lifted and there's a new heaven and a new earth and there's, there's no more death, there's no more destruction, there's no more disease, there's no more difficulty. We long for that day, God. And so God, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would just uh, fill us and use us and change us, that we would be reminded over and over again of your goodness and your love. And so thank you for Laura and thank you for Perry, thank you for the story of redemption. Thank you that we can know the truth and that truth will set us free. So may we walk in freedom today and we pray this in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen. Let's stand together as we worship.